to Luke chapter 10, beginning here with verse 25. I'll invite you to stand with me as we receive this word. Beginning with verse 25, hear the word of the Lord. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three men do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do the same. May God add his blessing to that. Please be seated. So what we have here is this, this familiar story. An expert of the law comes to ask Jesus a question. And of course, what we discover is that this lawyer wants very badly to know how he can have eternal life. How do I get to heaven? The lawyer asks Jesus what he needs to do to, to get there. What are the requirements, Jesus, of making sure that I get in? And, and if you think about it so often, that's exactly what we want from Jesus, isn't it? We just want it plainly. What do I need to do to get to heaven? Give it to me straight, make it clear. I want to be able to check it off my list so I can get on with life. That's how this conversation, in fact, starts out. He asks Jesus, how can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus simply asks him, well, what does the law say? You're a lawyer, this expert lawyer should know this. And he responds, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus answers, good answer, A plus. You do that and live. But then the text says this, and I find this fascinating. This is key here. But the man wished to justify himself. Now, have you ever done that? He wishes to justify himself. Now, that's an interesting phrase. Very interesting, in fact. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? How broad is that category? Who is it exactly that God wants me to love like myself? 
Why? Because he wants to justify himself. He wants to do the right thing on his own. How can I make sure that I do enough to get to heaven, to justify myself, be good enough to make it to the heavenly city? I want to justify myself. I want to do the work and not do more than I have to. Well, it's pointed out that during uh, this era in Judaism, we might not realize this, but at this time, there was a pretty well-known debate going on in religious and lawyer circles. In Leviticus 19, it said this, Do not hate your brother in your heart. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the rabbis of that day looked at that and they said, well, obviously, through this text, the, my brother is my neighbor, because that's in the text. And obviously, our people, other Jews, are my neighbor, because again, that's in the text. But the debate then among the rabbis was, what about converts? What about those Gentiles who, who become believers in our God, convert to Judaism? Are they my neighbor too? Some said yes, others said no. That was the debate of the day. Now what was not debatable, everybody agreed who doesn't count as a neighbor. Gentiles don't count. Pagans don't count. So this man wants to know how narrow is this category so he can get to work on justifying himself. I want to get this right. I want to work hard and make it to heaven. And so Jesus looks at him and he begins to tell this familiar story and he does it, if you think about it, in a rather classic way. There's a certain kind of structure to this that follows that is known as the, the rule of three. I've talked about this before, but you know this because you've experienced it in so many ways. There are three characters to a story. The, the first guy does something, it could be random. Then the second guy comes along and he does the same thing. And so by the, by the story so far, you know that a pattern has been established. You have an expectation of what's going to happen next. But then the third guy comes along and he's the punchline. He's the surprise. Today, to this day, many jokes kind of follow this pattern. For instance, a, a priest, uh, a Pentecostal preacher and a rabbi would get together two or three times a week in a coffee shop to, to just talk about their experience in ministry. Well, one day someone in the group said, you know, preaching to people is easy, but I think what would really be difficult is preaching to a bear. That would be difficult. Well, one thing led to another. These guys are always trying to one-up one another, and they decided to do an experiment. They would all go out into the woods, find a bear, and preach to it, and attempt to convert it. Well, seven days later, they're all together once again to discuss how things went. Father Flannery, the, the, the Roman Catholic priest, he, he's got his arm in a sling, and he's a little bit bandaged up, and he says, well, guys, uh, 
I went into the woods to find me that bear, and when I found him, I began to read to him from the, the catechism. Well, that bear wanted nothing to do with me, and he roughed me up again, slapped me around a bit, so I quickly grabbed my holy water, and I sprinkled him, and suddenly he became as gentle as a lamb. The bishop's coming out next week, as a matter of fact, for his first communion and, and, and confirmation. Well, Reverend Billy Bob, the, the Pentecostal preacher, it was his turn. Now, he's on crutches. He's had a few bandages going on, too, and, and in his best fire and brimstone oratory, he claims, well, brothers, you know that, that we don't sprinkle in my parts. I, I went out, and I found me that bear, and, and then I began to realize that that, the, uh, that bear needed to hear God's holy word, and I began to preach God's word to him, but that bear wanted nothing to do with me. So I took hold of him, and we began to wrestle, and we wrestled down one hill, and we wrestled up the other, and finally we came to the creek, and when you know, I dunked him, and I baptized that hairy soul. And just like you said, he suddenly became as gentle as a lamb, and we spent the rest of the day just praising Jesus. Well, of course, then they both looked down at the rabbi. He's lying in a hospital bed. His entire body is in a, a large cast. He's in traction with IVs and monitors running in and out of him. He is bruised, almost beyond recognition, bandaged. The rabbi looks up and says, you know, looking back on it, circumcision may not have been the best way to start. <laughs> That's the rule of three. <laughs> now, Jesus tells this story. A man is traveling home from Jerusalem to Jericho. Robbers attack him, strip him, beat him, and then they leave him by the roadside, half dead. A priest comes by. When he saw the man's condition, he steered his donkey to the other side of the road and continued on his way. A little later, another religious leader with government influence comes by, a, a Levite. He does the same thing. Now, of course, what's happening here is the pattern is established. The expectation is made, the rule of three. But then a Samaritan comes by. Now, I you know this, that Jesus is speaking to Jews. He, he knew how they felt about Samaritans. Now, I don't have time this morning to unwrap the whole history of the, these people, but as you probably know, these Samaritans were considered half-breeds. They were compromisers, and, and good Jews wanted nothing to do with them. Suffice it to say, there was a lot of bad blood between those two peoples. It, it stretched back hundreds of years. For ethnic and religious reasons, Jews despised Samaritans and would avoid them if they could. But no matter, this Samaritan had a heart of compassion. And when he looks down and he sees this battered, dying man, wounded, he reaches down and he puts 
oil and salve on his wounds and he picks him up and he puts him on a donkey. He takes him to the nearest inn. He nurses him through the night and makes provision to care for him as long as might be necessary. He pays the price. Of course, this is where we get the term Good Samaritan. And I think most of us, when we read this story, we think we understand it. I'm sure the lawyer realized what Jesus was saying. Jesus wants us to realize the responsibility we have to all of God's people, fellow human beings, and no one, in fact, is outside of being called our neighbor. It doesn't matter whether we know the person or whether he has a different race or lifestyle. It doesn't matter whether that person appeals to us or repulses us. Eternal life has something to do with our willingness to care about others. And so we kind of understand the point. And I certainly hope we take it to heart. But you know, I've spent a lot of time over the years with this story, and I've actually fallen in love with it. Because I realized something else. Usually when we look at this story, we talk about the compassion of the Samaritan. Or other, often you might hear pastors spend time talking about the false religiosity of the priest. Or the inability of the Levite with his legalism who passed by to help. But have you ever stopped to think about the man who was robbed, beaten, and left to die? I wonder this morning, how did he feel about being helped by a Samaritan? Now, Jesus doesn't come right in and say it, of course, but we assume that this man is a Jew. That's without question. There's no doubt here. A Jew in trouble is ignored by his fellow Jews. They were his neighbor by any definition. They would fit the definition easily. But then a Samaritan comes along and helps him. How did he feel about that? He was a, probably a person who all his life had never associated with a Samaritan. Perhaps he had never talked to one. He probably always hoped it would be the case if he was a good Jew. But here in this moment of his greatest need, at a moment of life and death, it's a Samaritan who comes and cleans his wounds, dresses them with oil, binds the hurt places, lifts him to a donkey, carefully escorts him along the road. He is the one who offers words of comfort. All night long, he sleeps alongside right on the floor next to this hurting man, attentive to any expression of pain or restlessness. I can imagine what it must have been like for this man to hear the Samaritan deal with the innkeeper the next day as he says, I'll pay it all. Don't you worry about that. I'll be back, he says. How did the victim feel about that? That's easy to say. I mean, I think he was just glad to be alive, Jeff. But I wonder, 
you know, I've been in ministry a long time. A marriage is in deep, deep trouble. Friends say, listen, the two of you need counseling and professional help. One or the other says, no, I'd rather die. An alcoholic, he could lose his family, his job, even his life. His wife pleads with him, you need help. And his response, I'll die before I embarrass myself like that. You see the point, it's not uncommon, is it, for hurting people to prefer death to being helped by some people. When I was in college during the summer months, and I've told you this before, I worked for the Honda Motor Plant down in Marysville, Ohio. It was, you know, I was, an in, I was just a, a temp, and uh, they gave me a job. I was to work in the weld shop during the summer, second shift. Now, this is 19, 1988, one of the hottest summers on record. And what that meant was is that at, at, at the plant, the, the plant would literally just heat up during the day. So the hottest hours were actually in the evening. And, of course, I was in the weld shop, which had its own heat. And then they put me on a, an elevated platform. So I was literally in the, the warmest place in the plant. It was a, rather for a, you know, an 18-year-old kid, a cruel uh, you know, opening uh, salvo to understand what the real world was like. And so I, I was struggling here. The, the, the idea of the, uh, uh, the process that I was doing was, the, the basic idea was that the, the body of the car would be put together, it would come up, and it was my job to take a rubber mallet and hammer several points near the front of the car and work my way under the wheel wells into the trunk to make the flush so that the robots would have an easier time when it came to their own spot welding. So it, it meant this. I, I thought that robots were supposed to make our jobs easier. But I was so low on the totem pole, I was working to make the robot's job easier. That's how bad it was. And I remember just those early days and my hands swelling up like balloons. I could barely move my fingers. And when it was all over, it was just exhausting. And truth was, I wasn't very good at it. There was a guy uh, who did another process, similar one, next to me. He was a young guy in his 20s. Uh, he wasn't headed to college. He had uh, long flowing hair, always kept his shirt wide open so you could see the hair and the tattoos on his chest. He uh, would uh, share colorful speech is one way to put it and often talk about his sexual conquests as often as he could. If you can just imagine, we were about as different as two people could be. And we never really hit it off as friends. In fact, I remember thinking, Lord, why do I have to spend so much time with a guy like this? In fact, on several occasions, of course, I was new, I was sore, I'd really get behind in my process. And who was it that would step up and help me out? Time and time again, that guy would step in, that guy I didn't like very much. He'd pick up a hammer, he'd start pounding away, doing my job to help. 
And you know that bothered me. I hated having him help me. But you know, God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? And I've learned over the years when we retain any kind of prejudice against people who might be different from us, God has a way of making us humble. The truth is, a good Samaritan is often bad news to our prejudices and our preferences. Sometimes God gives us just what we needed, even though it is nothing like we would have ordered. That's God. I I really hope our nation will understand this lesson. And I hope that we can stop seeing each other through eyes of prejudice and race and color and any other way, but instead realize that everyone we meet is a precious child of God. Everyone we meet is a husband or a father, a son, a daughter, a wife, a mother, a person that God loves. And we better learn this lesson. It's fascinating to me that when this story is over, Jesus asks the lawyer a question. Up until now, it's been the lawyer driving with the questions. But Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And I think it's fascinating. What is the one word the lawyer can't bring himself to say? He doesn't say it was a Samaritan. He can't even say it. He says, that one guy who showed mercy. That guy. We, we better learn this lesson because sometimes we're going to be helped by someone we wouldn't expect. But, but let me tell you this morning, it's deeper than that. It's so much deeper than that. Remember, this man wants to justify himself. He wants to get to heaven on his own. So you and I need to understand this story. I love it. In fact, in John 8, in John 8, a group of Jews are picking an argument with Jesus. And so to give him their best insult, this is what they say. They say to him, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Oh, fighting words. Listen to Jesus' answer. I do not have a demon. You dishonor me and you dishonor my father. Did you hear it? He says, I don't have a demon. He didn't say anything about not being a Samaritan. Apparently, he's okay with identifying with the Samaritans. Folks, we better learn this lesson. Because every one of us is walking down a road as perilous as the journey from Jerusalem to Jericho. The journey from the day we are born to the day we die. It is a road of beauty, to be certain, but it is also a road of great peril, is it not? So great, in fact, that we cannot make this journey without being attacked by robbers. Satan comes to 
kill and steal and destroy. His legions are there and we know them too well. We know despair and loneliness, fear, lust, greed, anger, guilt. Sin is their den and they spring on us when we're least ready. And yes, those robbers leave us half dead. And if we don't get help, we're going to die. Religion walks by. It doesn't help us. Religion never does. Government, family, tradition walk by, but they can't help. Not really. We would pay our own way, but the problem is we have nothing. It's all gone. It's all been taken. We're naked. And suddenly, lying in that half-dead state, we hear footsteps. He seems to be a stranger. He's a Samaritan. He carries a cross. And we remember that the scripture says, cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. And we think back and we remember the scripture, he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was despised and we esteemed him not as one from whom men hide their faces. In other words, we wouldn't want to see him. We wouldn't want to be associated with him. We wouldn't want to, to touch him. But he offers us his help. We try to say, you know, I, I'd be happy to pay my own way. I can justify myself. But the stranger says, listen, you, you can't purchase what I give you. Nor can you deserve it but I give it to you freely. You see, I, I wonder this morning if this lawyer wasn't, wasn't being told by Jesus. Could, 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 could it be that Jesus was telling this lawyer, listen, I am the good Samaritan, and if you want to make it to the heavenly city, if you want eternal life, you're going to need some help. Because nobody can justify themselves. I want to ask you this morning, very plainly, have you accepted this offer? Sometimes we think we'd rather die in our lostness than humble ourselves to receive Christ's gift. But he won't let us pay our way. He says, whatever is on his account, I'll take care of it. On the cross. And he says, I'll be back. I'll be back. The man on the road could have refused. 
waited for a better offer, but he let the Samaritan give him life. And Jesus says to the lawyer, go and do likewise. Where do you need help this morning? Do you find yourself, if you're honest, you're lying in a ditch, you need some help. You feel wounded and beaten up. You don't have anything to offer. Listen, as we close this service, would you just be willing to humble yourself and wait for the Good Samaritan to touch you, to heal you, to remind you that he paid it all and that he loves you very much. I'm going to invite you to stand as we pray. And this altar will be open. I'm going to invite our brother to come, and he's going to lead us in worship here. But let's just go before the Lord very, very quickly. Father, it is late in the hour, I know. But I think we need to take some time today. Lord, where do I need your help? Where have I fooled myself into thinking I can do it on my own when the reality is without you, I'm a dead man? Lord, would you humble our hearts today? Would you allow us to experience your grace? Help us, Lord, to never believe we can justify ourselves. But that is a gift that you offer to us freely. Thank you for your love. In your name, amen. This altar is open if you need to come. I hope you will do so.